Hi, this is Breaking Brave. I'm Marilyn Barefoot. Welcome. This podcast is designed to inspire and inform you through conversations and stories about bravery from all different walks of life. Today, I have the privilege of chatting with Mr. Evan Landry. Evan is an executive producer and partner at Asymmetric Media based in Toronto. He is also an award-winning freelance producer who literally does it all. Evan has actually produced over 100 music videos and commercials for world-renowned brands and artists. I find it incredible to find all this talent in one fairly young human. In this episode, Evan and I chat about his work with Drake on the production of the wildly successful Hotline Bling music video, and also getting his brave on while traveling at age six internationally as an unaccompanied minor to visit his mom in Beckley. Evan, you absolutely define brave and inspiring. Here he is. Hi, Evan. How are you this morning? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Welcome to Breaking Brave, and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I'm really excited to talk about all of the brave things that you have done in your life. Great, I'm looking forward to it. Evan, you are a partner, but not a founder of Asymmetric here in Toronto. Am I correct with that? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I was uh, made partner a couple of years ago, um, but I did not found it. It was founded by by a couple of others, uh, one of which is still uh, one of my partners in the company. Fantastic. And and my understanding, first brave thing right out of the box, is you do a lot of different things at Asymmetric, which is really atypical for this space. So my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you guys at Asymmetric do uh, television commercials for clients like McDonald's. You do films and you do music videos. Those three things are like huge buckets of endeavors. Yeah, and we we do, I mean, make anything that really excites us creatively uh, or we get paid to do. <laughs> so we, uh, we also do photography. Um, we've done web series. Uh, we support short films and stuff. So it's, it's really any kind of content that, that our directors and filmmakers want to make or clients want to pay us to make. Let's talk about the commercial space. So McDonald's-ish kind of stuff. What is there a fave in there that you could tell us a little story about? Um, I mean, I work on so many projects a year for in the commercial space. We do, you know, over over 20, 25 projects a year, sometimes more. Um, it's hard. I mean, I, I think I'm always drawn towards uh, the ones that can be a bit of a fun adventure and, and challenge. Um, so, you know, I've been lucky to be able to travel kind of all over the world making uh, commercials. Um, and so, you know, it's it's often... The ones that we get to go somewhere fun and adventurous are, are often the most fun and the most uh, interesting for in the commercial space. I totally understand. And so how do you go about getting these clients? Is it all word of mouth because you guys are awesome or or what it, it, like how do how do people find you? Or is it agencies that are finding you or is it clients that are finding you directly word of mouth or how does it work? It's a bit of a mix. Um, it's you know, I think. Asymmetrics part of a group of companies that are well established in in the city and in the advertising space. 
Um, uh, the, the parent company is called Ceneva and, and they've been around for over 15 years now. And so, you know, a lot of our, our work comes through that connection and, and through our sales team who represent all three companies. So they've got really deep roots in, um, with the, the agencies in the country. Um, and then, you know, some of that, it, that's, so that's, that's part of it. And then a big part of it is us just getting out there and, and, and meeting new people and, and doing great work that people see. And so they want to come and work with us. Um, and then, you know, other stuff is, is there some client direct work? There's, uh, there's just individual connections that our filmmakers have. Uh, it varies really. It, it's just anything that we can do to find an opportunity. Amazing. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about it. And this is for me and, and maybe our, uh, maybe the folks listening to the podcast will have the same question. I'm not sure. I've always been confused around what is a producer versus what is a director. I understand you are a producer. So how, uh, what is that slot in terms of your roles and responsibilities in, in making these things happen versus the director? Yeah, I mean it's 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 funny because this is honestly a question that uh I get asked all the time by a lot of people who who aren't in the industry who really it's it's producers a term that covers so many different types of jobs and responsibilities. Uh but ultimately the director is in in charge of the creative vision and and bringing that to life and we're in charge of enabling them to bring that creative vision to life. So by managing budget and schedule and logistics, we work with the director uh, to put all the pieces together for them to tell the story. So from finding, you know, the opportunity itself and, and, and building the budget and getting the job in the door to actually uh, planning the job, scheduling it, hiring the crew to execute it, overseeing the casting, overseeing, finding the locations and, and everything like that. That's, that's kind of what we do, especially, you know, that's, that's kind of what we do at Asymmetric and what we do for commercial clients. That's, that's probably the easiest way to, to kind of cover it. Excellent. Thank you. I always thought producer was all about the money because I've heard I've heard people talk about being a producer and and when I ask, well, what does that mean? And they said, basically, we got to find the money to make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that for commercial based work, it's it's inherently there because you're providing a service to a client. So they're the ones that are there. They need to get something done. So that money exists. It's just about going and winning that job and getting the money to come to your company and your filmmaker. I think that what you're probably referring to is more in the the long format space in in film and television where you know you're creating those opportunities from scratch or you've got an existing IP or existing uh script that you want to go out there and sell and so the producer's first order of business for that is to actually find the money to get it made so that is you know the crucial piece where if that doesn't happen nothing else is going to happen um but you know beyond that the producer does does a lot more in terms of actually seeing the project through and, and, and getting it made and, and executing it and kind of seeing it from shepherding it from start to finish. And yeah, it's uh, it, it, it covers a lot of ground and there are different kinds of producers on, on any one project in long format space. So. Excellent. Well, thank you for that clarification. Cause I guess, yeah, I was thinking about documentaries, right? Somebody has an idea for a documentary and they got to get it produced. Meaning I got to go find bags of money to make this happen. Right. Exactly. And that's a big part of it. Evan, I wondered if you could tell us the story, because I understand that you were the producer on Drake's video, Hotline Bling, 
Yeah. You were the producer, but I obviously, before we got on this uh, podcast today, I, I went and I looked and it said Director X, which, I, which of course, I don't understand. It's cool. It's funky. It's hip. It's neat. But can you tell us a little story about, about that whole experience with Drake and how it was and how it went and ups and downs? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a pretty wild experience. It was, um, you know, it's, it's, I consider it such a a privilege to have been such a big part of such an iconic video that, you know, has been seen by so many people and had such an impact on, uh, culture and, and it just, it was, it, you know, it, it was kind of a unprecedented experience. Um, and so director X is actually, uh, the director who used to be called little X and then was director X and is now, I think going by Julian Lutz. And he's, uh, I would say one of the most iconic music video directors, probably the most iconic music director of our time right now. And one of the most iconic of all time. Um, he's done a lot of, a lot of amazing work for a lot of massive artists. Uh, and he's a frequent collaborator with, with Drake and OVO. Um, and so, you know, I just happened to be kind of on the radar of his production company at the time, because I've been producing a lot of music videos. Um, and it was kind of right place, right time. And I got the opportunity and, and, uh, and helped make it happen. Um, and it was, uh, it was a pretty wild shoot and, uh, it was, it was, we put it together very quickly. Um, I still, you know, can't really believe that we did all of that so efficiently and so quickly. It was pretty crazy. Um, but it's, uh, it's been a pretty wild thing to have been such a big part of. Absolutely. And when you say pretty quickly, Evan, like what, I don't know if there's a typical time frame for producing a music video versus what went down with Drake and how quickly, if you will, that came together. So could you give me some context on that? Because I really know nothing about obviously producing music videos. There's no, I'd say there's no definitive timeline. Music videos are pretty wild to begin with. It's always a bit, um, it's a bit loose and and a bit crazy and you're at the mercy of artists schedules and and demands and you know often very challenging budgets and and timelines uh but this i think you know from from uh award i think we we were prepping the job for uh about a week and a half and then it finally solidified and we had i think 8 or 9 days from the point that it was awarded to the point that we shot it um and so we were essentially building started our art department started building the state uh, the studio the sets in the studio um as soon as the job awarded and they were working 24/7 for for 7 or 8 days building the uh this like the the sets which were pretty epic and um and challenging sets to build we had like a floating staircase and and a bunch of moving set pieces and it was uh it was quite an undertaking and uh, pretty heroic um by the art department to be able to have pulled that off in the the time that they did um it was uh, pretty epic and terrifying and where did you shoot it was it done in toronto or or was it done el- i mean not that you can tell yeah we filmed it in toronto in uh in a studio called revival um it's down on eastern we actually had two uh two massive sound stages um they're two biggest, I believe. And we had uh, two sets built in each studio um, and we had to kind of swap between the two. And I think uh, we 
I, I can't remember what it was exactly, but going back and forth between the, the two stages, I think I walked like 17 kilometers that day or something. My phone told me uh, that I'd done like some absurd amount of steps, um, kind of just running back and forth between those two stages to to make sure things were on track. Wow. Fantastic. So uh, the obvious question, which I'm sure you've been asked a million times before, but I got to ask, what's Drake like to to work with as as a human being as an artist he's he's great i mean he i i really think that that group and and drake in particular really he's like the author of his own success like when you work with them and you see just the level of awareness um of their space and and kind of the planning and and thinking that goes into everything like it's all very calculated everything that they do is 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 very calculated and very um very intelligent. Like he's, he's, and he's also, you know, he's been on film sets his whole life, uh, from working on Degrassi to then, you know, starring in, in so many music videos that he is often more experienced than a lot of the people that are are working for him on set. And so I think, you know, it's, it's rare to have an artist that will, you know, add something that brings something to the table with ideas, even about the process. And you're like, wow, that was a fantastic idea that actually will make this better or that will make this smoother. Um, and so, you know, I've worked with him a few times and, and yeah, each time I've always been impressed by that awareness and, and, and the fact that, you know, usually the input that comes is, is pretty productive, um, which is rare. Yeah. I can only imagine. And, and those, collaborative must be such a pleasure for you Mm -hmm. in terms of having an artist that is that careful, is that intelligent, is that thoughtful, and is that creative? It must be a joy to work with somebody like that. Absolutely. Was there a brave moment for you, Evan, on that particular Hotline Bling uh, music video shoot? Was there something that stands out to you? Because I'll come, I'll circle it all back to brave. Um, that That was brave of for you or for your crew or just in general? I mean, I, I think the whole thing was, to be honest, just with the, the timeline that we did it in um, and and kind of the odds that were, were stacked against us in that regard. Um, I mean, every every day on that shoot was, was incredibly stressful and incredibly uh, terrifying. And it was just kind of, you're driven by the... Uh, the, the fear of failure, the fear of letting people down that you're working with. And so, you know, getting to the end of that shoot and actually wrapping it and seeing it all come together in, in post was, was pretty gratifying, um, because it was, it was very challenging. Um, and I think that, you know, I value the experience though, because I truly feel like that job made any shoot since feel, um, surmountable, like often, I think those kinds of struggles and those challenges make the future challenges uh, feel a little less uh, daunting. So I can always look back to that and reflect on that and be like, well, it's not as difficult as that was. Good for you. It, it, and just to wrap this up on, on Drake, was it, the, was it the most complex music video in the shortest period of time or does it hold a title of being from concept to post the shortest amount of turnaround time you've, you've ever had? I think if you combine the scope and scale with the timeline, then yeah, for sure. It was definitely the most ambitious. Uh, I mean, luckily working with an artist of his level, we had the resources 
you know, it's always a challenge, no matter what your budget is on a music video. Generally, it feels like you don't have enough, but you know, with, with somebody of that level, you do have access to more than you generally do. Uh, so when we were tasked with impossible, uh, requests, uh, they became possible by throwing money at it at times. Um, but you know, we were changing creative a couple of days before and, and, and building new sets, you know, 36 hours before the shoot day. And so it's, uh, you know, it was just, it was challenging for a lot of people, but everyone kind of rose the challenge and, and, uh, and really pulled through to make something amazing. Fabulous. Wow. And so has that been, has it brought tons of new business to asymmetric as a result of you guys, of you and your team being involved in such a high profile music video? Well, actually asymmetric didn't produce it. I, I did produced hotline bling before I started asymmetric. So it was when Uh I was a freelance line producer, um, which was what I did before I took over asymmetric. So I think I produced hotline bling in, in fall of 2015. And, uh, and then I started asymmetric in uh, the spring of 2016. So it was, uh, I, I think it was the last music video that I produced before, uh, leaving freelance and starting full time at asymmetric. Um, it definitely, you know, I, I think it led to opportunities for me. Um, and, uh, but you know, I, I, I don't know how much, uh, directly it, it brought to asymmetric. It was, it was done by a different production company, which was called creative soul at the time, which was director X's production company. And, uh, they then moved on to a company called pop rock. And now, uh, their director X is uh, a partner at a company called Fela with, uh, with Taj, uh, Kriklau, who was the executive producer on it. They're great guys. Wow. So that's even more incredible. I mean, more incredible from the standpoint of you're a freelance dude and you're working with Drake. Like how fabulous is that? Yeah, I think it's like a rite of passage for a lot of Canadian music video producers, to be honest. <laughs> a lot of my friends and, and colleagues have uh, have kind of worked on their own since or, or before. Um, it's just, you know, it, it's uh, it just it seems like a rite of passage in Canada almost. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. I, I'm, I got to go back and rewatch it now a couple <laughs> of times now that I have more of the backstory on it, which is fantastic. The more interesting that it's, it's interesting to look at all the memes that came out of it and still are present. Like you'll still see hotline bling memes, uh, pretty regularly, which is quite funny. Um, wow. and it was, you know, it was always interesting to walk into a, a random store and see like a gift card that had a hotline bling image on it or like a t-shirt or something or seeing people at Halloween dressed up as like characters from the music video and stuff like that. That was, uh, that was quite wild. And of course you get a kickback financially every time that happens, right? <laughs> yeah. I wish. <laughs> yeah. That would be nice. Absolutely. So Evan, did you know or feel in your gut that this uh, that this genre this this path that you're on was your calling from when you were say young younger a kid um i don't think that i i knew that or no definitely not i mean i i had no idea what i was going to do when i was when i was younger i think that there was a while that i toyed with being an actor because my dad's an actor um and then you know i i started taking school very seriously and and thought that maybe I was going to go into the Canadian foreign service, like my grandfather, or I was going to become a lawyer, which was the thing that seemed like a path of like a sure thing. 
Um, and a lot of my friends were doing it. And so I thought that might be an option. Um, and, and I, I don't think I really like started thinking about it film seriously as a career path until, you know, I was in university and realizing that maybe I didn't want to do three more years of school and maybe I wanted to try something a little bit different. Did your parents think this was a fabulous idea when you decided to start carving your path out in the, in the film industry? Did you get support or did you get pushback on, oh, gee, maybe you really should be a lawyer? No, my, my parents are, are, my mom's an artist and my dad's an actor. So I didn't really, uh, I, I didn't really stand much of a chance. I don't think in going into anything too traditional. Um, I feel like they were, were pretty sure that I'd do something like this. So they've been nothing but supportive. And I think that they would have been equally supportive had I decided to become a lawyer. I think that they've, they've always just been wanted me to do what makes me happy and fulfilled. Um, although my dad does consistently make uh, comments about thinking that I should go on camera, which is, I find hilarious because I think that that's the opposite of 98% of parents who would probably encourage their children to stay away from acting, which is a fairly volatile career path. Absolutely. So it feels to me then, Evan, like your parents really did foster an atmosphere, a spirit of bravery from the time you were a little kid. Is, is, Is that accurate? So that you weren't afraid to take chances or you weren't afraid to step off of a say traditional trajectory i think you know their support also enabled me to do that i'm you know very privileged to have had supportive parents um and you know kind of the the them allowing me to to chase my passions um you know which i think that a lot of people would be a little bit, um, a lot of parents would be a little bit more insecure about seeing, you know, such an uncertain path that for the first couple of years was, was very, um, challenging financially and stuff like that. I think it's, it's, uh, you know, just having that support and, and being able to even live at home, uh, for a couple of years after university, while I, I dove into very low paying work and unpaid internships in the film industry kind of enabled me to, build my portfolio and, uh, and, and take the time to kind of learn the skills that I needed to, to be able to actually make a real go at this. That's fabulous. They sound like wonderful people. Yeah. I wondered about asymmetric and we turn our focus to that for a moment. Mm -hmm. And, and in the fact that, well, out of my previous career being in the advertising business, I was, and McDonald's and Coca-Cola were two big clients that I worked on for years. I was on shoots all the time for television creative. And usually it was, we go here for the television creative and that's what they do. But now that you've got so many different types of work that Asymmetric is involved in and including photography, Hmm. is this really rare in your industry? I mean, to me, uh, maybe I'm a dinosaur, but it feels like it's, it's a broad spectrum of things that you offer to various clients rather than just being one thing. Yeah, I think it's kind of a the where the industry overall has been going. I think it's such a competitive market now and and such a competitive space. I think that like, you know, the technological advancements have really opened the door to a lot more people entering the film industry. I think that it it was there was a much higher barrier of entry uh, 15 years ago than there is now. Um, and people see it as something that's much more accessible. So I think there's, 
there's much more competition. So everyone is doing a little bit of everything just to kind of carve out their space. And, and, you know, the, I think that's, that's true of, of companies and also true of individual filmmakers. So the filmmakers that we work with, the directors that we represent at Asymmetric, you know, they don't just do one thing, they do multiple things and they have multiple different passions and interests. So we kind of support those in any way we can. Like a company is offering different kinds of, of services and doing different kinds of uh, content, I think is really important because I think that that being able to do that also, I think, attracts other filmmakers to our company because, you know, we'll support them not only in in commercials, which I think is the primary focus of our business, but we'll also help them with their passion projects. We'll help them with music videos. We'll help them, you know, with their short films or, you know, ultimately hopefully be able to help them with long format projects as we evolve into, to providing that service more as well. Excellent. With television, I mean, there's a million different views of where television is going or is not going, but television commercials as a subject matter, is that something that's on the decline for you because there's just less people watching traditional television or are you're shooting material and creative that can be used across perhaps a wide variety of platforms not just traditional television advertising i just wondered if if you felt an impact with more people going to streaming services and less people watching if you would that traditional advertising where tv commercials usually live yeah, I mean, I think that that decline has ha- happened. I, you know, I've been running asymmetric for about five years now, so I don't know that I've noticed a decline uh, since then. I think that there's still such a there's such a big space for traditional advertising because of uh, live sports and because of um, news and and you know so many different other kinds of shows that that are on on traditional television. But then you know, video content is also so important across other mediums. I mean, when, when movie theaters are open, for example, or, or even just, you know, playing on screens at the airport or playing on screens at a train station, um, and then digital, uh, media as well. I mean, there's, there's, you know, pre-rolls on YouTube and, and, you know, if you're watching certain, if you're watching stuff on a global's website, they're going to have advertising like men's playing. And, and I think that, What's happened is the line's just been blurred between digital and, and TV. I think that there is always a big focus on big TVCs and, and digital being kind of smaller and separate, whereas it feels like now there's an understanding that it they're, they're much more similar. I mean, it's the same it's the same ask for the most part. You need to get a certain amount of people and things into a place and, and film them so the costs are similar. And I think it's just, you know, it's... Uh, you know, we're seeing more, not, we're not just seeing traditional thirties, you're seeing 45s, you're seeing minute, you're seeing minute and a half long spots and stuff like that as well. So it, it leads to a bit more variety, which I think is interesting. And ultimately I think means better creative and, and more interesting mm-hmm. approaches to creative. Excellent. Um, I wanted to ask you, I'm going to go to a personal question on the subject of brave. What was the bravest thing that you did or have done in your personal life? I, that's a good question. I mean, I, I guess personal life doesn't include career path. <laughs> right. So anything out, out yeah, I'll, I'll ask it in a moment about the career path. Yeah, so just, yeah. you know, living, breathing, doing your thing as a kid or an adolescent. As, as a kid, um, you know, I, my, my parents split up at a, when I was fairly young, I was, I was uh, six, I think. And uh, my mom, 
moved to the Caribbean and lived down there for, for most of my childhood. Um, and I did a lot of traveling back and forth, um, which may not sound that significant, but I think that like, you know, as a, a six or seven year old kind of getting on a plane alone and, and traveling to, you know, back and forth between these places was, was something that I think took a lot of, uh, it, it I grew up very fast doing that. And, and I, my responsibility grew and, and I would say that there was a fair bit of bravery involved in, in kind of just taking that on every time. Um, and, and I think that, you know, there were other things that that grew into is, you know, going on, I, I was sent to, uh, I was, I was sent to France alone when I was in between grade seven and eight to, to live with a family there, family friends. And, and I was there for six weeks alone. And that was, I think, uh, also something where, you know, I think that those kinds of experiences of, of traveling and, and having responsibility on your own when you're a child kind of, I don't know, I feel like there's some bravery there. Absolutely. I mean, you're traveling. I had a summer job for a few years as a flight attendant, believe it or not, when I was a student going through, uh, working for Air Canada and an unaccompanied minor, which is somebody Uh, then. I remember that well. Yeah, you you have this big sign, this big tag with all of your life information that's hung around your neck and you're, you're shepherded and you're looked after, but six, that that's very brave, Evan. But I think maybe did it did it also instill in you this travel bug, this this, oh wow, look how big the world is and I love to see new things and new places? Absolutely. And I think that I I mean I, I value that experience and those experiences. I think it it helped me grow a lot as a person, um, and understand the world more and and grow up a little bit quicker. I think I'm an only child as well, and I think that only children often are thrown into experiences where they're around just adults. And so I, you know, I, I think that that helped as well, but I think that, you know, certainly that made me uh, really passionate about traveling and experiencing new things and meeting new people and, and uh, instilled a bit of a sense of adventure in me, I think. Absolutely. That's great. I, I Is there a story that you could remember from when you were a kid and you were traveling back and forth to Beckway to see your mom or France to see your family friends. Was there a terrifying moment in there that you could tell me a story about, like where you had to just muster up everything you had in your gut and, and face it and deal with it or stay calm or whatever this, the story is. I'm trying to think if there's anything in particular, I mean, definitely some sketchy moments on airplanes in the Caribbean, some small planes that we had to get on. But <laughs> um, I, I remember I still remember the first night that I spent in France when I was alone and I was like 11 years old or 12 years old. And, uh, I was at a farm with this family and, uh, no one really spoke much English and I didn't speak much French at all. And, uh, I just, I remember just not being able to sleep because of jet lag and just being like, what have I gotten myself into? And I, I, I think I just, I cried (laughs) <laughs> I just was up and I just cried and I was upset and, uh, and, you know, didn't know how I was going to get through the six weeks there. Uh, and I did, and I figured it out. I had a lot of fun and I made great friends and, you know, I, I don't think I learned as much French as I was supposed to, but I definitely taught those kids a lot of English. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I can, I can feel you on that one. 
uh, how, what was her turning point when you were in France? I mean, wh what was the turning point where, okay, I'm crying myself either to sleep <laughs> or awake. It, 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 was there something that just happened that's like, okay, now I'm getting a little bit more comfortable with this whole situation? I think it was just that, you know, how welcoming everyone was and how I realized that I was capable of dealing with the situation. And, and you know, I think that I, I bonded with everyone over sports. We played a lot. We played soccer every day and I was a really good soccer player. And so I think that that endeared me to everyone there and, and uh, was without even without speaking the language or each other's language, I was able to build that, that bond up with, with everyone just through sports, um, which was, you know, a fun commonality. And, and, uh, I think, uh, you know, it was that I, I, I look very back very fondly in that summer and, and kind of wish that I'd been able to go back more. Fabulous. Thank you for sharing that. And so what's the future now, Evan, what's, what's the future for your business? Do do you, do you think what's the brave future for asymmetric and for your role within asymmetric? Do you have the, uh, I mean, visions are tough. We're in, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, but you just like, what, what do you wish for? What do you wish for, for the business? It, you're right in saying that it's tough to kind of think about that in the middle of a pandemic. It's, it's been very difficult to kind of look anywhere past the next few days, just because, you know, we suffered having our industry completely shut down at the start of this and, and, you know, we've been very lucky to uh, be able to stay open through it, which, you know, it's not just luck. It's also the hard work of everyone in the industry and the diligence that everyone's had to follow all the protocols. Um, but, you know, it's 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 scary because, you know, any big second, third, third wave at this point could shut us down again. So it's hard to look past that in the day to day. But I think that, you know, overall, um, uh, the big thing that I want to do is is be able to tackle more TV and film projects and and create more of our own IP and and everything. I think that like you know client based work is fantastic and we have so many great clients that we work with and and get so many opportunities to to do such interesting creative. But you know at the end of the day we're we're kind of providing a service to an agency and to a client where we're helping execute their job. But once it's done, it's it's gone and it's theirs and. Um, you know, we're still able to use it on our portfolios and, and have ownership over uh, the creation of it to some extent. But at the end of the day, it's it's not our our project. It's not our our creative. And it's, um, you know, it's it's a service that we provide. So I think that the next big step is is starting to develop our own properties and, and starting to uh, to work on on shepherding some film and TV projects uh, that hopefully we can we can tackle over the next uh, the coming years as we continue to grow our commercial side of things as well, for sure. Excellent. And and can you talk to me a little bit about uh, five films about technology and, and also nine films about technology? Because that's IP that you have created. And I understand there's some big news about nine films about technology, I believe, coming in March. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is, you know, a really special project that I've been working on with uh, my partners for uh, for over five years now. So this is something that that started before Asymmetric and has kind of been happening adjacent to it since I started. But um, I uh, I produced a short film with uh, the uh, genius writer director Peter Wong, um, who's also a very very close friend of mine. Um, in uh, in 2015, we uh, we made a short film called Five Films About Technology. Uh, which was produced um, 
which was financed through Bravo Fact, which was a grant system in Canada that that gave uh, grants to to filmmakers. Uh, I was lucky enough to to have done a number of Bravo Facts, which was really you know very helpful in in my career path. And and uh, it's really sad actually that that's gone now. Um, anyway, I, I I produced that short film with uh, my producing partner Jonathan Kelts and and with Peter and. Uh, you know, we wanted to make something uh, creative, do something a little bit different. We'd been making a lot of music videos and commercials, wanted to do a narrative project. Uh, and it got really well received. And, you know, we premiered it at TIFF in 2016, and then it played at Sundance in 2017. Um, and then it was uh, it was picked up by a distributor called What Media and, and kind of sold all over the world. Uh, Neon Films in the U.S. picked up and they played it in front of a feature film called Colossal in the U.S. in over 1,500 theaters. Um, so that was really amazing. And it got a lot of eyeballs. The, the, the New Yorker bought it um, and released it on their online platform. Uh, so a lot of people saw it and a lot of people responded really well to it. And uh, we were encouraged to kind of develop it into a, a longer form project because it, it's just a five minute short film. Um, and so we, uh, we kind of went on a journey with it where we started developing it as a feature film for a while in Canada and, and it was, uh, you know, going to be an anthology feature and that kind of ran its course. And as that was happening, we were, uh, contacted by, by an executive at Sony, uh, who had seen it in front of Colossal, I believe, and had been thinking that it would make a really great TV concept. Uh, so he, you know, we started, we, we, uh, had a deal with Sony where we were developing it as a TV show. Um, and we kind of, you know, ran our course with Sony. We pitched to buyers, nobody, nobody bought, nobody, uh, nobody jumped at it. And, uh, you know, it seemed like we might be kind of near the end of the road with it. Um, but then luckily, you know, Peter took it to FX where he had, uh, built a bit of a relationship and, uh, they'd been interested in the project from the start. And, um, you know, they, they jumped at it and, and wanted to make it. And so we, you know, we got, we made a deal with them and, and, uh, and Peter wrote nine episodes and, uh, it became nine films about technology. And, uh, we were about to, to shoot it right around May and, uh, obviously the pandemic hit and then, uh, that put a bit of delay on it, but luckily we were able to pick things back up and film it in uh, September and October. Um, and, uh, it's now being released in March on FX and Hulu in the U S and, uh, we're thinking probably star in uh, Canada, but that hasn't been confirmed yet. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow. Oh, fantastic. I watched trailers about it, um, online doing a little bit of digging about you before we had this chat and it looks fabulous. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I mean, I, I guess I'm going to have to drive and cross the border, which I'm not allowed (laughs) to do (laughs) to get, or maybe you can share it with us. Um, Evan, if if people would like to get in touch with you, if people would like to connect with you, if people would like to follow you, how would they how would they do that? Um, well, they can you know check out uh, Asymmetric's website, which is www.asymmetric.tv. Um, and asymmetric is spelled wrong. There is one M in it, uh, which it looks better from a design standpoint. So whoever made that decision, I commend them. Um, and then, uh, you can check me out on, on Instagram, uh, Evan M Landry. Um, I think that's my handle. Can you keep us posted please about your nine films about technology? Absolutely. I'm dying. I really, really want to, to see this now somehow, some way. Um, and, and I think that's a wrap and thank you for being brave. You're, you were brave because, 
you're actually my first and my second guest <laughs> because the first time we did this, I don't think I quite had it figured out. And we had some recording issues as well. So I'm hoping that being number one and number two has uh, has been as great an experience for you as it has been for me. So thank you so much for, for joining me. And we look forward to all of the beautiful work you'll be doing in the future. For sure. Thanks so much for having me, Marilyn. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at Marilyn Barefoot. That's it for today. See you next time.